It's time to eat. Get in my belly! Sit down and get ready to consume an abundance of fantasy football knowledge from Russ Tucker and Evan Silva. Me so hungry. On the Fantasy Feast Eating Podcast. Yeah, let's eat, baby. It is the Fantasy Feast Eating Podcast. And if you are looking for a place to make your online wagers, Head over to betonline.ag, use promo code PODCAST1 to receive a 50% sign-up bonus today. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. He is Evan Silva, the Roto World superstar, who based on a lot of your tweets that you send to me, at Ross Tucker NFL, and him, at Evan Silva, is the guy that has been able to help so many of you win your fantasy football leagues. I love that, Evan. I don't know about you. I, I love getting those tweets to both of us when Evan's insight on this show during the season help people win their season-long leagues. Of course, it's not over yet. The next few weeks are really fun and challenging on DFS and on DraftKings, and make it really, really interesting. So that's really what these weeks are about. Number one, it is a lot of fun, always, just from a pure football standpoint, to get your analysis, Evan, of all of the games, what you think is going to happen, things to watch. It's really great analysis just for the game in general, and then obviously for people that are going to be playing DFS It's absolutely fantastic. So highly encourage you guys to all check it out and uh, make sure, even though your season-long league might be over, that you still listen to everything Evan has to say. Now, we won't have two episodes anymore, right? I mean, there's only four games. So just one episode of the Fantasy Feast from here on out. But it is year-round, and we do have four awesome games to break down. So let's do it. Next meal. Next meal. All right, Evan. So before we actually get into your breakdown of these four games, can you just give me and I'm sure some of the other listeners as well a a refresher course in what we're really trying to accomplish, what the keys are when you're playing DFS at DraftKings or wherever this weekend? Um. A lot of people will say to not play uh, cash games, which is where you're just trying to finish in the top half or you're just trying to beat someone one-on-one. Um, I actually disagree with that. I think that there are plenty of advantages that we can carve out against our opponents where playing cash games is actually a good decision. Um, there, there are still four games going on, so it's not like a, a total crapshoot. Um, and I think that we can still outthink our opponent and just beat them in terms of, from a decision-making standpoint, one-on-one or beating a, you know, finishing in the top half of a decent-sized field. Um, in terms of playing tournaments, you know, you have to you definitely have to be willing to go outside the box a little bit. And I mean, that's something that a lot of people struggle with. I struggle with it myself. You know, there are some people that are good at thinking in 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 that way um, and being willing to take shots on guys that are lower probability. Like a guy like Keenan Allen in this game, like we can project him pretty safely for like nine targets. But there's a guy like Travis Benjamin who we can project for maybe only three and a half targets. Uh, but he has big playability. He's going to be cheap. No one's going to use him. And, you know, he's the, the type of guy that you put on your DFS tournament roster. And if, if, if he goes right and the rest of your lineup goes right, and, hey, because he's cheap, he's giving you a shot to play guys that are more expensive, that are higher probability, um, you know, that, then he can give you an advantage on everyone else that is playing in that tournament. So that is, um, you know, I think that that's a, a pretty good redux on on how we can uh, view our tournament decision making versus our, uh, you know, our, our higher floor cash game decision making on a four game slate. Yeah, that was basically what I was looking for: is how you okay. balance 
the studs and the think guys you think will do really well versus you know trying to be counter or different than everybody else so you actually have a chance like in a tournament to actually win it yeah and as we go through each game you know i'll I'll definitely make sure to point out hey you know this guy his probability is probably pretty low but he also does have big playability you know and, and and we can adjust for that okay let's do it and we'll just go in order so we'll start with the texans and the colts where the Houston Texans are hosting the Saturday 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time wildcard game for the 37th consecutive year, which I believe is a record. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, the best game on the slate also, and I think it's oddly scheduled because the, the, the Colts just played on Sunday night football, and you know why wouldn't we stretch them out to, to Sunday um, instead of making them play on Saturday? And then why are we having the Chargers play in a 1 p.m. Eastern time game in Baltimore, you know, one of the furthest eastern locations in the NFL? I think that it would have been nicer if we could get the Colts uh, Texans on uh, in that that later uh, or that that earlier Sunday start as opposed to uh, and then have the Ravens Chargers in this in this slot. But here we are. And this can is I, the best I, I, can, Evan, can I yeah. answer that for you, by the way? Absolutely. Because all they care about is the television ratings and the yeah. dollars because this is pro football. It's a business. And the Bears-Eagles, as well as Cowboys-Seahawks, are going to get much bigger ratings than Ravens-Chargers and Texans-Colts. So everything they do is ratings-driven, and we could debate whether or not they should do more. More of it should be a competitive thing where the Colts shouldn't have to play back-to-back, you know, road games, night games, short, the whole thing, and the Chargers. But, you know, it's not like it's a Sunday to a Thursday. It's at least six days for everybody. And in their mind, you know, it's all about the ratings, and the two NFC games are just much, uh, just going to do much bigger numbers for them ratings-wise. Okay. Um, well, this first game is the best game for fantasy on the entire slate. The total is 48, 48 and a half. Um, the next highest total is like 43, 43 and a half. Uh, the game is going to be played indoors. When these teams played in the regular season, both games were pretty high scoring. Uh, Andrew Luck had... Um, 399 and 464 yards passing in both of these teams' regular season meetings. And to me, he is the best play on the entire DFS slate for Week 18. I mean, the Texans, they have good, like, season-long pass defense stats, but they faced the easiest schedule in the entire NFL, uh, particularly in terms of all the quarterbacks that they faced um, when they did play good quarterbacks, they just got crushed. Um, they got crushed late in the season by Nick Foles. And as I mentioned, they got crushed twice by Andrew Luck. Um, also both of Andrew Luck's pass catchers are in great spots. The Texans were a bottom three team against uh, at, in defense uh, against tight ends. I mean, tight end uh, quarterbacks when targeting tight ends completed 76% of their passes, almost nine yards per attempt, nine touchdowns. Uh, and then they are also one of the worst teams at defending speedy outside receivers. We saw that with Robbie Anderson, a guy that you know we really liked on that, on that uh, individual Saturday slate uh, that helped people win a lot of money uh, that week. And um, T.Y. Hilton has just crushed the, the, tight, the Texans uh, every single time. That, that he has played at Reliance Stadium. Basically, I mean, he's averaging 133 yards per game in his career, seven-game sample, when he plays at Reliance Stadium. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about his his uh, his ankle injury. But, man, this guy led the NFL in receiving yards by over 100 yards in weeks 10 through 17. And Dr. Chow says that he doesn't even think that T.Y. Hilton has a serious injury. And they've been holding him out of practice – 
I, I think he's healthier than actually the team has let on based on based on his production and based on what Dr. Chow has seen from the video. Um, and it's almost like they're kind of trying to play it up. I mean, either way, I think that, you know, Ebron and Hilton are both in great spots to have productive uh, wild card round games. We can work our way down the depth chart. Dontrell Inman uh, has been pretty steady, 40-plus yards and or a touchdown in six of his eight games as a Colt. I think he's going to be popular uh, in daily fantasy as a play this week. It, make, it makes a lot of sense. He's the clear number two receiver for the Colts at this point. Uh, Chester Rogers, though, isn't terribly far behind him. From a routes run and target expectation standpoint, um, he's about like five routes run per game uh, in terms of expectation below Dontrell Inman, and he's about a target, maybe only a half target, behind him in terms of volume expectation. And I think he's going to be a lot lower owned in daily fantasy than will be Dontrell Inman. So something to keep in mind. You know, there are other peripheral peripheral guys who can make plays. Mo Cox only had seven catches all year, but five of them went for 17-plus yards and two went for touchdowns. Um, he's a, an incredible athlete. He was a big-time like rebounder and shot blocker at – VCU, I believe, um, and he's he's progressed as a player, but he doesn't run many routes. Only ran five pass routes last week uh, in the backfield. Naheem Hines is a sleeper, especially on DraftKings, the full PPR. He there are two ways that he can uh, potentially have a better game than expected. Number one, if Frank Reich just game plans to give him a better role uh, than he usually has which does make sense because the Texans are really good against the run, but they've given up a lot of production to uh, receiving backs this season. And Naheem Hines over the past five or six weeks was a guy who would average about five catches for uh, 40 receiving yards per game. Um, so he could get there in terms of uh, from a game plan standpoint, and then he could also get there if the Colts fall behind the Texans, which, I mean, look, I think that the Colts are going to win. But that doesn't mean that they're going to win. It doesn't mean that they're, they're going to stay ahead, you know, the whole game. Um, so, you know, Naheem Hines, there are a couple of ways that, that he can get home. For Marlon Mack, it is a really difficult matchup because Marlon Mack was not involved in the passing game very much over the course of the year. And uh, it does help that Ryan Kelly is going to come back. But, man, he's playing through, he's playing through injury. Um, so, you know, how healthy is he going to be? But – I think that at the end of the day, Marlon Mack is kind of a touchdown or bust guy. He does have, you know, a shot at 20 touches in this game, and there just aren't many running backs that have a shot at 20 touches in uh, on the entire slate. So those are things that are working in his favor. On the other side, Deshaun Watson was uneven in his two games against the Colts. But one thing that was consistent about Deshaun Watson is that he took a lot of sacks. He took seven sacks. In uh, the first one, he took five sacks in the second one. You look at the pricing on uh, daily fantasy sites, and Colts are near or at the bottom uh, in terms of how much they cost. So, you know, even on down to the defense, I think that this game is the best one to attack. Now, that brings up, you know, the the idea that if you're playing in tournaments, like you know that everyone is going to have a lot of this game. So, you know, keep your eye out on good plays. If you're playing tournaments, keep your eye out on good plays from the rest of the weekend um, and, you know, try to sprinkle those guys in too uh, to be a little bit different and, you know, just understanding that things don't usually don't go the way that we expect them to. Uh, but on the Texan side, they're saying that Kiki QT is going to be back this week, um, but but they're also saying game-time decision. I mean, he was full practice uh, all week, but game-time decision when the practice week was over. That makes you kind of scratch your head because usually guys that are full practice, they come back. But Kiki QT has been in this situation where, you know, it's he's supposedly week to week, but he hasn't played a full game since week six. And he's been battling this hamstring injury 
since like August 4th. Um, so he's dicey and I, I've heard that he is going to be really popular, uh, this week. And, you know, maybe he's a guy that you could look away from and, uh, try to differentiate yourself. Um, Further down the depth chart at the wide receiver position for the Texans, Vincent Smith, I think, will be the number two in terms of outside receiver opposite DeAndre Hopkins. Vincent Smith, and he's super, super cheap. And the slot receiver is either going to be Kiki QT or um, – why, why, why am I forgetting who the other guy is? DeAndre, DeAndre Carter. Carter. Yes, DeAndre Carter who had um, a six-catch game late in the season. Uh, he had a big play, a 50-yard gain on, on uh, one of the, in one of the Saturday games um, against the Jets, I believe it was. Uh, so he's, And he's got some ability. He's bounced around a lot. But when there's no Kiki QT, DeAndre Carter gets a lot of playing time. Um, and, you know, in, this, in these teams' Week 14 meeting, uh, the, the Colts – really went out of their way to um, defend DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, they're not typically a big-time scheme defense. They're, they play straightaway Tampa 2. You know, they're, they play the most zone coverage in the NFL. Not necessarily a scheme team, but they schemed against DeAndre Hopkins using linebackers and, and safeties, getting those guys involved. And that um, translated to a little bit more usage throughout the rest of the pass catcher core, uh, Vincent Smith and DeAndre Carter or uh, Kiki QT could potentially benefit from that. One guy who benefited from it in the Week 14 game was Ryan Griffin. Um, Ryan Griffin was not, you know, he's not been a big-time fantasy player, uh, but he plays a lot. He gets a lot of playing time, and he actually runs a lot of routes. So they, they don't really dial up plays to get Ryan Griffin the ball. That could be different this week. Um, in their last meeting, Ryan Griffin had five catches for 80 yards. Late in the game, he had a 47-yard catch and run um, that set up DeAndre Hopkins' touchdown. DeAndre Hopkins had four catches for 36 yards and a touchdown. He was, like, giving you nothing until Ryan Griffin ripped this huge score and then DeAndre Hopkins, Ryan Griffin ripped this huge gain, and then DeAndre Hopkins kind of cleaned up the drive with a shorter TD. Um and the Colts, the way that they play, it encourages the, uh, offenses to go after them uh, with tight ends and running backs, um, and they don't give up big plays. Uh, they will give up stuff underneath, but you know they're going to rely on their speed at linebacker, particularly Darius Leonard, who I think might get offense or defensive rookie of the year. Um, you know they're going to rely on that type of player and Anthony Walker, their, their middle linebacker, they're going to rely on those guys to make tackles. Um, and that has worked for them. I mean, shoot, they have allowed, they've allowed 15 points per game over their last seven. The Colts have like, this is like a, a legit defense. Uh, do not take them for granted in the backfield. Uh, Lamar Miller had about a two week ankle injury. Um, he missed the better part of two games. He came back in week 17, 19 touches to Alfred Blues, five, uh, played 84% of the snaps, the most that Lamar Miller has played since week eight of the 2017 season. So they they want him to be the guy, um, and that's why they held him out the extra game. Um, and I think he's going to get a near full workload. It's just the Colts defense has been legit uh, against the run as well. And, you know, the matchup is not great. And we've only seen Lamar Miller really once in the last three weeks. So he's kind of a risky play. But I think the volume uh, should be there for him. We can move on to the next one. All right. I love it. Saturday night, it's the Cowboys and the Seahawks. Really looking forward to this one. And the only thing I'll add to what you said about the Colts and Texans, Evan, is yeah. Greg Cosell sort of echoed what you said about Naeem Hines and really liked uh, what they're doing with Naeem Hines and thinks he's going to be a big factor on Saturday. He said that yesterday on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. So uh, keep that in mind. And then it's interesting, the two guys he talked about for the Cowboys against the Seahawks, believe it or not, were Cole Beasley and Tavon Austin. 
and thinking that they might be factors against this Seattle defense, which, uh, I mean, Beasley, maybe. I, I was not expecting in the year 2019 for, for him to be talking about Tavon Austin potentially being a factor in a playoff game for the Cowboys. Yeah, and, you know, Tavon Austin, I was looking at him. He He's played in one game since, like, week six. He played in week 17. He played about 13 snaps. Um, and then uh, the latest word is that he might not play in this game. So, but, uh, but I, I hear you. He would be the fourth receiver, and he might be like on the receiving end of a shot play or something if they if they play him and he also obviously plays on special teams um you know in in the return game i think the better guy to look at is beasley i think the better guy to look at is beasley because he in just in terms of wide receivers we're going to talk about blake jarwin in a minute but just in terms of wide receivers if you control for the last four weeks of the regular season Cole Beasley has more air yards and more targets than Michael Gallup and Michael Gallup was a guy who was like kind of on people's radars late in the year he was you know theoretically getting some getting a a decent number of air yards in November and he had eh, a couple of decent games but Cole Beasley was getting more volume than him um, when push came to shove in the final month of the season. And so, you know, what, what we want to bet on in fantasy is the volume and just getting the opportunities. And so I, I would be with Greg on Cole Beasley. He would be an intriguing sleeper. Um, Amari Cooper, you know, can he get it turned around? We could just do Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper together because they their, their splits are really lopsided in terms of home road and in terms of zone versus man defense, um, you want to get them at home uh, where Amari Cooper has averaged well over 100 yards per game, like 110 yards per game versus on the road. He's at 45 yards per game. All this is since coming from Dallas. Dak Prescott has been much better uh, at home than on the road. Now, he did just have a great road game against the Giants. Um, which instills some confidence, but he has played the C- the Seahawks twice over the last two seasons, and he was really bad in both of them. Um, and they are a heavy zone defense, and um, they are good at rushing the passer, and that is the Cowboys' weakness on their offensive line. They can still run block, but their pass protection has been a major issue all season, and, I mean, realistically, like, they have one of the worst pass protection units in the NFL. I mean, they are number two in sacks allowed. They are 28th in um, adjusted sack rate at Football Outsiders. Um, and now they're facing a Seahawks defense that finished a number 11 in sacks, number four in quarterback hits, uh, and getting pressure from both the interior, from Jerron Reed, and getting pressure from off the edge with Frank Clark. Uh, so this is a very dangerous pass rush unit for Seattle, and the Cowboys have shown very little ability to handle pass protection well. I mean, Tyron Smith, not the same guy. Both guards have dealt with injuries. They benched Connor Williams, uh, essentially. Uh, you know, they lost Travis Frederick early in the year, and their right tackle, Lyle Collins, has been pretty inconsistent throughout his career. So... You know, there are reasons for this, and it's a real thing. And the Seahawks' defense uh, is very much in play because of that. Um, in terms of a, a, a defense that could rack up some sacks, create some turnovers, and also has an explosive element in the return game in Tyler Lockett. Uh, but to, to finish up Dallas, I mean, Zeke is, you know, the, the Seahawks are kind of like a run-funnel defense because they are good at creating pressure on quarterbacks, but they've been bad against the run in the second half of the season. And, um, you know, that is the strength of the Cowboys offense, despite what we saw in week 17. Zeke is coming off the rest week. Uh, He was highly active in the passing game in the second half of the year. You look at, you know, just adjust for uh, the Cowboys week eight bye, and 
weeks 9 through 16, in which Zeke played, he, of course, rested in week 17. Weeks 9 through 16, the only running back that had more targets than him was Christian McCaffrey. The only running back that had more catches than him was Christian McCaffrey. And the only running back that had more receiving yards in the NFL than him was Christian McCaffrey. Um, and the Cow- and the Seahawks gave up the sixth most receiving yards per game in the NFL to opposing RBs and the third most catches per game in the NFL to opposing RBs. So Zeke, I think, is just a lock-button play. Uh, he's also a home favorite. Dak scares me for the reasons that we've discussed, um, and that, that trickles down to Amari Cooper. There are sites, there are DFS sites where Amari Cooper is a good value, and there are DFS sites where he is not a good value. And, you know, you, you got to kind of figure that out. Um, tight end Blake Jarwin, uh, he came on really strong uh, in the, in the, late in the season. Of course, he had the monster game against the Giants in week 17. Uh, he also had a game that was really spiked in terms of usage against the Eagles, where Dak had like 55 pass attempts most of his career. Game went to overtime, etc., um, but, you know, he he finished number seven among targets, among tight ends in targets in the final month of the season. And he also uh, finished third among tight ends in fantasy points behind only Evan Ingram and George Kittle in the final month of the season. And he also top, finished top seven in air yards among tight ends. So I think that he is a guy to take seriously. Unfortunately, all that really inflated his price and, and brought up his price. So, you know, you, you have to deal with that. But it puts him in play on, on a slate where uh, tight ends are – there just aren't very many good tight ends. And we can, we'll move over to Seattle where you really just don't want to play their tight ends at all because Nick Vanette and Ed Dixon, like, share time right down the middle. Neither of them get very, tar- very many targets, and they're just guys to avoid. Uh, but there are guys in the Seattle pass catcher core to target, and the guy who stands out the most, I think, is Doug Baldwin. Um, Doug Baldwin took week 14 off with a hip injury. And in weeks 15 through 17, I mean, he came back hot, and he came back getting all the opportunity that you want. I mean, he was number seven in the NFL in air yards from weeks 15 through 17, Doug Baldwin is a kind of a different type of slot receiver. You know, he's not like a, an, a, an all underneath guy, like, you know, Danny Amendola or Cole Beasley. I mean, he's definitely a guy who can run deeper routes and he's great after the catch. Um, but, you know, to see him number seven in the NFL in air yards uh, for a three week span, that, that really stands out pretty much for any slot receiver. Um, and he had 11 more targets than any other player on the Seahawks 53. So a lot of opportunity there. And he was balling. I mean, Doug Baldwin played really, really well when he came after, after sitting out that week. And he's got a great matchup this week because, you know, you look at the, the construction of the, the Cowboys cornerback core. The guys you want to avoid are Byron Jones and Shadobi Awuzie. Big dudes, incredible athletes, you know, long arms. Guys, you want to stay away from. You know, uh, outside receivers had problems with those guys all season long. Those guys are pretty healthy. Doug Baldwin, 65% in the slot, though, runs 65% of his routes in the slot. Anthony Brown, I think, is a guy that we can attack in the slot. Uh, he um, dealt with back injuries. And, and Ross, of course, you've talked a lot about guys playing, trying to play through back injuries. And he missed time late in the season, uh, and he wasn't very effective uh, uh, quarterbacks in the sec- from uh, the Cowboys' week eight by on when targeting Anthony Brown went uh, 27 of 36 passing, averaged over nine yards per pass attempt, threw three touchdowns and one interception. Uh, so I think that Doug Baldwin can win against in the slot against Anthony Brown. Tyler Lockett's uh, volume took a big hit. Uh, as the the target distribution really skewed toward Doug Baldwin uh, late in the year. And in those final three games, uh, after Doug Baldwin came back from the hip injury, Tyler Lockett just turned into like an all-out deep threat. 
his ADOT, average depth of target, was 12 yards, which is a pretty reasonable expected ADOT for Tyler Lockett uh, in, in weeks 1 through 13, or in weeks 1 through 14. And then in weeks 15 through 17, his ADOT went up to 21 yards. So he is, on average, being targeted 21 yards downfield. He only got nine targets total in those final three games. So he morphed from a guy who was a little bit more versatile, played you know, play, played a lot of slot, um, and he's still playing a lot of slot, but he's running deep routes out of the slot. Um, you know, and, and he became a, a pure deep threat, a low-volume deep threat. So those are things to keep in mind about Tyler Lockett. He is an intriguing play when you play the Seahawks defense because if you play Tyler Lockett and the Seahawks defense in the same DFS lineup and then Tyler Lockett runs back a punt return or a kick return, you are going to get six points for that for Tyler Lockett and you get six points for the, for the Seahawks defense. Now, the probability of that happening is extremely low. I mean, let's... You know, let's be real. But it's also the probability of you winning a big daily fantasy tournament is always also extremely low. Um, so, but, the, you know, that's a way to be a little bit different. And it's also a way to maybe capitalize, you know, you essentially double up on your points. And a guy who also fits in with that correlation would be um, Chris Carson. Because, look, if the Seahawks get ahead of the Cowboys, um, they are going to be in more of those pass rush situations, maybe rack up five or six sacks on Dak, and they will be in run-friendlier run situations. And the Cowboys showed some def- run-defense cracks late in the year. It was, it was kind of weird. I mean, they were consistently dominant against the run all year, and then all of a sudden, week 15, Marlon Mack runs all over them. Week 17, Saquon Barkley runs all over them. Um, now, those were both games those are both away games and the Cowboys were great at home this year. So, you know, keep that in mind. It's, it's not necessarily a good forecast predictor for, uh, for, of what is going to happen in this wild card round, but it, it does suggest that they're not as impenetrable in run defense as they were all season. And we know about Chris Carson, the Seahawks love to feed him the rock. He comes in with 20 plus touches in four straight games. He's playing at a really high level. Uh, he's mixed in some big catch games as well. Cowboys give up a lot of catches in receiving yards to opposing RBs. Rashad Penny came back last week, only played four snaps. Um, four touches and four snaps. And I think that he's probably just going to focus on kickoff returns, lining up back there with Tyler Lockett uh, uh, in, in the wild card round. The number two back, Mike Davis, is a little bit of a sleeper. Uh, he had um, a lot of passing game usage this season. And, you know, as I mentioned, the Cowboys gave up a lot of catches to running backs uh, as well. If the Cowboys take a lead, and to me, this is the hardest game to predict on the entire wildcard slate. It's, it's like a one or two point spread. It's been, you know, kind of moving back and forth all week. And I just, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. I think in my, in my, my final column, I had it as a 24, 23 game in favor of Dallas, but I I have no confidence in that whatsoever. Um, I think that with Chris Carson, uh, though, you can count on the volume. It's not going to be there as reliably with Mike Davis, um, but you know that he's going to get some usage. I project him at like 7 to 11 touches in this game, and he's going to play majority in the passing game. Russell Wilson uh, is you know, maybe the most dangerous quarterback on the slate just in terms of you know, we know that he can be a difference maker. And if he falls behind, like he can put a team on his back and, you know, wind up outscoring every quarterback on the entire slate. And I think that his ownership is going to be low. I think that a lot of people are going to go to Watson and Luck. I think some people are going to go to Trubisky, uh, which will make sense. And we'll talk about it in a little bit. Um, I think some people will, will look at Dak. And I think that Russell Wilson will be very – very reasonable uh, in terms of uh, his ownership percentage. Um, and I think you play him with Doug Baldwin. Uh, we should talk about David Moore. So David Moore had an awesome game in the Seahawks week 12 
upset of the Panthers um, was like a hero in that game. And it was actually his second, his second straight 100-yard game. And then I don't know what happened, but the bottom just fell out on David Moore. I mean, from weeks 13 through 17, David Moore had 32 yards on 16 targets. That's about as bad as it gets. I mean, that's worse than like running back efficiency in the passing game. And they started to mess with his playing time a little bit. Man, he's so cheap, and I, I would love to, to. I would love to love David Moore as a daily fantasy play, but I just I don't know what the heck happened late in the season. He finished playing a lot. I mean, he played a lot at the end, way more than Jerron Brown, and I think he's going to be the clear cut number three receiver. His matchup is bad on paper, you know, but. I, I believe in him as a player. It just seemed like he hit a hit a wall late in the season there, and so he's going to be highly, highly risk risky. But man, he's cheap, and we know that he can play from what he showed us this season. We can move on to the next one. Sunday Ravens Chargers. What do you got? Well, we saw these teams play in Week 16, and. You know, that was a game that was out in L.A. I don't know. You know, the Chargers don't have a home field advantage because they don't have fans, unfortunately. But they, you know, they but they got whooped at home 22 to 10 uh, by this same Ravens team. The Ravens actually had one of their worst rushing games uh, since Lamar Jackson took over at quarterback. Only only quote unquote only 159 rushing yards from them. Um, Gus Edwards ripped a huge run on like the first play of the game and the rest of the way it just it wasn't you know it wasn't really happening on the ground for the Ravens Um, but Lamar Jackson made a monster throw to Mark Edwards in the game you know there wasn't a lot of scoring total the Ravens defense just shut down Phillip Rivers Um, so that you know it gives us something to talk about um, but I, I, you know, as I mentioned, this game is playing, being played at 1 p.m. Eastern time, in one of the NFL's most eastern locales in Baltimore, and the Chargers are, you know, maybe the most western uh, locale, and they are traveling for a 1 p.m. Eastern time game. I mean, it's it's kind of not fair to the Chargers, um, and we just saw them get get beat pretty handily at their place by the Ravens and now they're, they're having to do this. So I think that we're going to see an even better performance from the Ravens. They are just a really hard team to um, a really hard team to beat. I mean, you know, and I I've heard some, some of the uh, sharper like um, sports betters that, that I'm, I'm familiar with. Uh, they like them as a sleeper to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, the Ravens, and and this is actually the most lopsided uh, public game. The public is on the Chargers. Seventy percent of the bets are on the Chargers in this game. So this is a great opportunity to fade the public. If you like to do the futures bets, um, I would look at the Ravens. I mean, I, I know that like I guess people just don't believe in Lamar Jackson right now, but you know they are six and one with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. They, and the only game that they lost, they almost beat the Chiefs. They took the Chiefs to overtime in KC. I mean, that is really, really impressive. And um, I think that they're going to win pretty handily in this game. Uh, and, you know, they have the ability to just suck the life out of your offense. Because, and we talked about it last week, teams facing the Ravens were averaging almost 11 fewer offensive plays per game when they face the Ravens. And then you're having to beat the Ravens with, you know, losing like 20% of your offensive play volume. And then when you do get to get to be on the field, when your offense does get to be on the field, you're having to face the friggin' Ravens defense, you know? So it's, it's a really hard situation for any team. It doesn't matter. Like even the Chiefs, you know, they, they only won 27 or 24 at home. It's a really hard situation for any team to, to play in. And um, 
I think the Chargers are going to have a really hard time with it. Uh, and then last week, the Browns averaged uh, – they finished as a top-10 team in terms of offensive play volume, only ran 54 plays against the Ravens. And uh, that was 10.6 fewer plays than their season average. So uh, that, that held strong last week, and Nick Chubb was a massive bust, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that, I, you know, there is not really a player on the Chargers right now that I would be excited to play beyond Keenan Allen. People are going to try to talk themselves into Hunter Henry. Dr. Chow doesn't even – he's kind of even still skeptical that Hunter Henry is going to play. If he does play, he's going to be playing a three-way rotation with Virgil Green and Antonio Gates. Um, you know, that's – I don't like to play that way. I'm sure that, you know, people have, have you know, won money, uh, you know, throwing darts like that. I, I, I don't like to do that. I'm certainly not the greatest, you know, DFS player in the world by any means. I'm I'm probably a little bit above average, uh, but I, you know, I would try to avoid situations like that where you don't know about playing time, and you're setting your lineups, you know, on Saturday, and you don't even know if the dude is going to play on on Sunday. So you're going to have to like get creative and make late swaps and, you know, prepare for that. Uh, just, uh, you know, I, I would try to avoid. Mike Williams is a guy I'm sure that people are going to try to try to play, and you know he's a better player than he's a better play than Tyrell Williams. He's getting way more air yards, way more targets uh, down the stretch of the season, but he's been a ghost for most of the year, uh, except for that one primetime game against the Chiefs where Keenan Allen left, and um, you know the Chargers like just everything went right for him. The Chargers were playing from behind. Uh, yeah, I think he's a touchdown or bust guy. Same with Tyrell. We talked about Travis Benjamin a little bit at the top. Keenan Allen, um, I think it is the, the most, obviously the most, the strongest play on the Chargers offense. Um, you know, like attacking the middle of the field against the Ravens. Um, he did not have a big game in these teams week 16 meeting, uh, but that doesn't mean that he can't hear. Uh, and, uh, just last week, we saw a guy who's used fairly similarly in Jarvis Landry have a very big game against this same Ravens defense uh, and also leave some yardage on the field. He had five catches for 105 yards and a touchdown, should have had more. Um, and I think that Keenan Allen can kind of mimic that. Uh, he runs a lot, of the, a, lot of, a lot of similar routes to Jarvis Landry and plays in similar areas of the field. Phillip Rivers finished the season in really bad form, um, and we've he's been known to do that. He did have the great game against Kansas City, but beyond that, in, in three of his final four games, uh, he threw for 220 or fewer passing yards. Uh, he threw two interceptions in each of the final three games uh, uh, that the Chargers had, and he, he did not play particularly well against Denver, and he had probably his worst game all year against this same Ravens defense uh, at the Chargers' place. So he's a little bit scary as a play. Melvin Gordon is also scary as a play. He's got a mild high ankle sprain on the same leg as he previously battled an MCL injury. He missed um, from week six on, and he also dealt with a hamstring injury. From week six on, Melvin Gordon missed fully four games, and he missed parts of four other games. So he was not uh, – he's not been healthy in a very long time, um, and he's a very risky fantasy play. Austin Eckler came back uh, last week from his stinger injury. Now he's battling a groin injury. I think he's going to play, uh, but he's not 100%. Justin Jackson is as close to 100, to 100% as it gets in the Chargers' backfield right now. But, you know, with Melvin Gordon active and Austin Eckler active last week, Justin Jackson only had six uh, six touches. So, um, you know, not a lot of reliability there. On the Ravens' side, the defense, you know, I think we're, we're building up to the fact that the defense is a great play. They're priced accordingly in daily fantasy. Last week we saw Lamar Jackson almost have that monster fantasy game that we have been hoping for. He did have 27 fantasy points which is a lot he was the, the number five quarterback it was his best um his best fantasy game of the season 
you know, nothing like Josh was what Josh Allen was having late in the year. And what, what we're still waiting for from Lamar Jackson is for him to have, you know, one of the games like last week where he has a big rushing day and he rushes for two touchdowns, but he also throws two touchdowns in the same game. That's what propelled Josh Allen last week. He had three passing touchdowns and two rushing. And we just haven't seen that yet from Lamar Jackson. I think it's going to be tough for him to have that in terms of passing against the Chargers, but he did have one of his better passing days against the Chargers. So I don't know. I think that he's going to be fairly popular, um, but not too popular. And I think that he's a good play. One of the things that kind of stinks about Lamar Jackson is that you can't really play him with any pass catchers because guys don't, aren't catching many passes, you know, because, because they're running the ball so much. I mean, it's the run-heaviest team in the NFL. They went from leading the NFL in pass attempts with Joe Flacco at quarterback to being the run-heaviest team making that switch on the fly. Um, I think that Mark Andrews, you could kind of hope for a repeat of what happened when these teams played in Week 16 where Mark Andrews, you know, had that monster touchdown catch. But, man, that that was kind of good fortune because Mark Andrews had one target in that game. And that was what the target went for. And if you look at just his target total since Lamar Jackson came under center, if, if you look at any Ravens pass catcher's target total since Lamar Jackson came under center, there's really no analysis to be done. I mean, there, there really is not. You're, you're, you're hoping. It's, it's a hope. And, um, you know, there's no steady consistency. Oh, this guy, you know, clearly Lamar Jackson's showing a connection with this guy. That's not happening. Um, and then we could talk about the running game. So last week was the first game since Kenneth Dixon came back from injured reserve designated for return in week 13. Last week was the first game where he uh, had more touches than Gus Edwards. Now, Gus Edwards played 47% of the snaps and or 49%, and um, Kenneth Dixon played 27%. So I think that Gus Edwards is still the favorite to be the lead back, but um, it shows that they're they're definitely willing to give Kenneth Dixon more work if he's got the hotter hand, and he had the hotter hand last week. I mean, he had, what, 119 total yards. Gus Edwards did not run poorly, um, but Kenneth Dixon gives them more versatility. He's got, uh, since returning, he's got seven targets, or over the last five games, he's got seven targets. Gus Edwards has, has one. The Chargers are another team that has given up a lot of catches and receiving yards to opposing RBs. So, um, and I think that if you're going to play just the Sunday only DFS slate, uh, you can play Dixon and Gus Edwards together. Uh, especially if you think, like I do, that the Ravens are going to kind of control this game. Um, and, and that would lead to a lot of rushing attempts. I mean, as a team, they could legit get like 50 rushing attempts if, you know, including Lamar Jackson, if things kind of go that way, if they control this game. And that would leave a lot of a lot of potential workload for Kenneth Dixon and, and Gus Edwards. Um, we can move on to the next one. All right, let's wrap it up. Last but not least, Bears-Eagles. Yeah, this is a game where, I mean, the Eagles are outmatched on paper. And but, I, you know, I would have said the same thing last year when they were playing the friggin Vikings in the NFC championship game. I mean, it was it was very clear, you know, on paper that the Eagles were overmatched. But, man, I mean, Nick Foles had a magical run. And, you know, can that happen again? He's been playing at a pretty high level. So and we know that he's a high variance player. It's like. Either he's going to play like an all-pro or he's going to play like a fringe NFL backup. You know, there's no in-between with Nick Foles, really. Um, Teams tend to play like – or quarterbacks tend to play like fringe NFL backups against the Bears. And, uh, you know, that goes for um, pretty much every quarterback. I mean, one of the last ten quarterbacks to face the Bears – uh, had a top 12 fantasy finish, just one. Um, and it was quarterback 11. It was Kirk Cousins 
and he kind of did it in garbage time in that primetime game. I believe it was either a Monday night or a Sunday night game. Um, it was the quarterback 11. That's the only quarterback to, to, to finish inside the top 12 against the Bears in their last 10 games. So it's, it's hard to get fantasy points against the Bears. Um, they allow the fewest fantasy points in the NFL to running backs. They allow the third fewest fantasy points in the NFL to quarterbacks. Um, you know, you're hoping for a miracle w- with Nick Foles. And uh, he's shown that he kind of has, you know, he's kind of a miracle worker. But it's... It is definitely not a comfortable situation. If you're going to play him with someone, I think you play him with Alshon Jeffrey. Um, and I'm about to listen to that, uh, to the Ross Tucker um, podcast with Greg Cosell. Um, and I'll be interested to see what he what he says, to hear what he says about this situation. But my expectation is that Vic Fangio double teams Zach Ertz and Alshon Jeffrey uh, is the guy that, might have a few more opportunities on the outside. The Bears actually gave up the fifth most catches per game in the NFL to wide receivers on the season. It's a revenge game for Alshon Jeffrey. And Alshon Jeffrey is Nick Foles' dude. Um, I, I recalculated just all the targets and, and all, all, the, um, all the receiving production from uh, Foles to Jeffrey and Foles to everyone else. You can read my matchups column, it's in my pinned tweet on Twitter. Um, but, I mean, he's averaging almost 12 yards per attempt when he just throws the ball to Alshon Jeffrey uh, with an 8.3 touchdown rate. And to everyone else, it's like 7 yards per attempt and um, 3% touchdown rate. So, and I think that Alshon can win against Amukamara and Kyle Fuller on the outside. Kyle Fuller had a great year in terms of interceptions. Not the biggest guy. Um, Alshon is one of the biggest guy. Long arms, you know, can win contested, can win when he's covered. And Nick Foles is willing to throw the ball to him when he's covered. Um, uh, moving down the depth chart, I think that Dallas Goddard is uh, pretty interesting as a tight end sleeper on a slate where – well, first of all, in, in a game where I think that Ertz is going to get double teamed, again, it doesn't mean that Ertz is going to do nothing in the game. Um, but I do think that he's going to have a lot of coverage assigned to him. You know, uh, Fangio has double teamed guys like Gronk in the past. Uh, he double teamed Jimmy Graham earlier this year. Uh, he, hit, you know, he he will use selective double teams on guys. He he's the perfect example of a defensive coordinator who doesn't just go and run his scheme but he schemes to attack the offense. And I know that that sounds ridiculous that, you know, we even have to point that out, but like not a lot of guys do that. Um, But he very, he does that maybe the most aggressively of any defensive mind, maybe outside of Belichick. Um, And, and he's going to be very aggressive in, in, you know, using, using scheme and doing things and trying to make the offense play, without some of its best players and and do things that it's uncomfortable doing. Um, So that, I think, could work to the benefit of Dallas Goddard. The Bears, uh, this is something that Warren Sharp pointed out to me, Bears have faced one of the lowest rates of two tight end sets in the NFL this year. Um, And they also, I think they faced the absolute lowest rate of three tight end sets in the NFL this year. And, um, you know, the Eagles will have drives where they will use 13 personnel, three tight end sets for an entire series. Um, and so I think that that's an interesting dynamic in this game. Uh, the third tight end would be Richard Rodgers. We don't really want to mess with him in fantasy, but that would get Dallas Goddard on the field more. And Dallas Goddard is he's going to be an absolute stud in the league. I know he didn't have a bunch of big games. He had a few big games. Uh, but he would be an intriguing sleeper on a bad tight end slate. Um, in the receiver core, talked about Alshon. Behind Ertz and Alshon for both air yards and targets during Nick Foles' weeks 15 through 17 starts was Nelson Aguilar. And Nelson Aguilar uh, also led the team in slot routes during that time. The Bears lost their slot corner, Bryce Callahan, to a broken leg in week 14. 
Um, and as they have acquired, you know, after they acquired Golden Tate, which has been a disaster, as we've discussed, um, and he's still been on the field. And when he's on the field, I mean, they'll they'll manufacture some targets to him for sure. Um, but I, I don't think you really want to use him in, in fantasy. You can, you know, you can always try to get cute, and, and maybe it'll work. Um, but with but since they've acquired him, Nelson Aguilar running his A dot has got has gone up. Uh, he's running some deeper routes. And he's made some big plays down the football field. Bears hardly give up any big plays. But, you know, a lot of this stuff comes down to opportunity. Nelson Aguilar is a guy that probably people are just not going to use in DFS. But his opportunity has been pretty strong. So if you could find him at a, at a decent price, I think he's a, a, decent, a, a guy worth taking a shot on. Um, in the backfield, it's just been a three-man rotation. Wendell Smallwood, Darren Sproles. Josh Adams. Uh, I think if I was going to pick someone, I would probably go with Sproles. Uh, he has been playing uh, over the last three games, 41% of the snaps. Um, he's used most in the passing game. And, uh, you know, it, passing game gives you better big play opportunities than the running game. Josh Adams is all running game. Wendell Smallwood is mostly running game. He can do a little bit of both, but he's also just been his usage has been super inconsistent. He had pretty good usage in week uh, 16, nothing in week 17, and then last week came back with pretty good usage. So I just don't know what we're going to get with him. But I think I would go with Darren Sproles. On the Bears side, and this will be the last team that we discuss, uh, Mitchell Trubisky is awfully interesting as a play. Um, and um, a big reason for that is – uh, that the the Eagles really struggle to defend uh, mobile quarterbacks. Uh, and it's not because they're giving up like 100-yard rushing games to, to mobile quarterbacks. It's because, um, you know, these quarterbacks have been having success both on the ground and in the air against Philadelphia. And it was, you know, Deshaun Watson in Week 16. He was the number two overall fantasy quarterback. It was a little bit earlier on. It was, uh, well, it was Dak Prescott. You know, the, the week before, he, he, had, uh, he was the number one overall fantasy quarterback. He was also the number nine fantasy overall, quarter, overall fantasy quarterback when these teams played uh, er, before that. Cam Newton was the number three overall fantasy quarterback against the Eagles. Marcus Mariota was the number seven overall fantasy quarterback against the Eagles. Blake Bortles, number 12 overall fantasy quarterback against the Eagles. So, you know, the, these quarterbacks that can move have been giving – the Eagles' problems, and Mitchell Trubisky can move. Um, one prop, just a prop bet. If you can find this prop, uh, it's been set at 20 and a half uh, rushing yards for Mitchell Trubisky. Or if you get it even at like 21 and a half or 22 and a half, I think it's worth it. Um, and I guess they're just looking at like recent, recent games because um, because Mitchell Trubisky is not since he came back from his shoulder injury, he hasn't been running as much, uh, but Jordan Howard has been running a lot more. And I think they might just have been trying to go a little bit vanilla late in the year and, you know, not use Mitchell Trubisky as much as a runner, but Mitchell Trubisky is a top three or four running quarterback in the, in the entire NFL. He finished number five in rushing yards, despite missing two games. Uh, and the only quarterback that finished ahead of him in rushing yards was that had a higher yards per carry average was Josh Allen. But Trubisky averaged over six yards per carry. Um, and he could get there on one play. He could get there with on one rushing attempt, beat this prop on one run. Uh, so that of all the props that I've heard about that and that I've seen, um, Mitchell Trubisky over 20 and a half rushing yards. I think that's an awesome, awesome prop to hit. Um, and I also think that he's a good play in Daily Fantasy in stacks with Tarek Cohen. Um, Tariq Cohen, I'm sorry. Tariq Cohen. <laughs> um, Tariq Cohen, I think, is going to be a real, real problem for the Eagles. I don't know exactly how they're going to deal with him. You know, they've got this depleted secondary, their entire first team secondary. And they're, look, their, their secondary has held up well recently. Um, 
but I, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily going to continue to translate. Uh, and I mean, they face, you know, they, they faced a pretty weak schedule down the stretch and they won a lot of close games and early in the season, they were losing the close game. So, you know, the, the, the regression to the mean kind of hit them, but I, I still think that they're a secondary to attack and Terry, Tariq Cohen can uh, run downfield routes. He can turn checkdowns into big gains. He's going to be active and get, you know, supplemental uh, touches in, in, the, in the return game. Um, and if Tarek, Tar- and if Mitchell Trubisky throws a touchdown pass to Tariq Cohen, who finished third among all NFL running backs in receiving yards and finished fourth among all NFL running backs in receiving touchdowns, you know, then, then that's going to pay off as a stack in daily fantasy. I think that that's my favorite stack uh, from this game, obviously Foles and Alshon Jeffrey up there as well. In the receiver core, it's always a crapshoot with the Bears. Uh, but in the final month of the season, Allen Robinson led the team in targets per game at 7.8. Uh, he also led the team in both total air yards and total receiving yards, despite missing week 17. Uh, but I think he's going to be at 100% in this game. And uh, I think that he's a guy that's going to be able to get open against these Eagles cornerbacks. Um, and then Taylor Gabriel, intriguing kind of dart throw. He's got some big playability. He had some decent games down the stretch. Uh, I think he's going to be healthy. He did leave the, the last game with a rib injury, but everything sounds pretty good on him. Full practice. Dr. Chow says, you know, not even really talking about him. Uh, so I think that Taylor Gabriel and he's cheap. Uh, Anthony Miller, his freaking arm came out of the socket again last week and dr chow says he's gonna play you know do you want to play you know a fantasy dude whose arm is coming out of his socket you know i i kind of don't um and then at tight end uh trey burton adam shaheen is back and his snaps have gone up every single game and last week he played 54 percent of the snaps trey burton has still been really active this is a you know a game against his former team. I don't know if you call it a revenge game. There's nothing really to get revenge about for Trey Burton, but um, he's in the mix as a play. You know, I would have him probably ahead of Blake Jarwin, but you know, definitely behind Eric Ebron and Zach Ertz, and um, you know, in in that vicinity, uh, just in terms of straight rankings for the wild card slate. But uh, yeah, that that takes care. That, or no. I'm sorry, we did not talk about Jordan Howard. Last guy to talk about. He's been used a lot late in the season, averaging 19.5 touches per game over the last four. I don't know what to think about the Eagles' run defense because from weeks 10 through 15, just got hammered on the ground. Uh, Let up 5.8 yards per carry. And then they played the Texans in week 16 without Lamar Miller. And then in week 17, they just placed, played a dead, dead Redskins team. And Adrian Peterson had four carries for zero yards. So, do the Eagles have a good run defense? I'm not sure. You know, they, they their personnel suggests that they should. Um, but, you know, Jordan Howard is the biggest home favorite workhorse running back on the entire slate. Uh, he, you know, the, the Bears are favored by six points here. You know he's got a low floor. He's not going to catch many passes. Uh, he did have one catch in four straight games to close out the year, though, and he had three touchdowns in the final four games. And in his career, in September through November games, he averaged 4.2 yards per carry and 0.3 touchdowns per game. In December and January games, 4.6 yards per carry and 0.8 touchdowns per game and if you know it's kind of like the Derrick Henry effect that we talked about late in the season Jordan Howard big power back listed at 230 that was his combine way in I think he's probably about 245 these days uh, but you know he's a, the kind of back that can wear down a, a defense late in this late in games late in the season um, and I think that he's a pretty good bet for a touchdown against the Eagles good luck to everyone Evan, I love it. I am ready to rock and roll on DraftKings this weekend. Should be awesome now that I know who you think are the people I should seriously be considering this week. 
And by the way, if you are like the guy that was over at the Westgate Super Contest, I didn't know, I didn't hear if you won or not. I guess I probably would have heard if you won. But you use Evan's knowledge for gambling purposes because it helps you break down the the win totals or the the totals of the games. You know where to go. It's betonline.ag. It's the promo code podcast one, and it is the bomb. BetOnline.ag promo code podcast one. You've got four wild card games. You've got Monday night college football playoff national championship. You've got unbelievable opportunities to make all of these games even more interesting, compelling, exciting, and entertaining than they already are. Go to betonline.ag. Use the promo code podcast one. And of course, by the way, if you're really in the place and bets and going ahead and making money off these games, you got to listen to Even Money Podcast as well with me and Steve Fezzik, the only two-time winner of that super contest. Even Money Podcast also being released today as well. Other than that, totally stuffed, Evan. You killed it again. Check out Evan on Twitter, at Evan Silva. I'm at Ross Tucker NFL, and we cannot tell you how much we appreciate it when you retweet the show when we post it or like it on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Ross Tucker NFL, or even rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. If you ever do that, take a screenshot of it, send it to me with any question, or even if you just want to shout out from Evan, uh, the world is your oyster, my friends. We can make that happen. I think we're done here. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Feast Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Even Money, and the College Draft Podcast, all available on iTunes at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found.